0: Wilson ramus 1976 About 1976, Remy said in later years that they was just a normal two-kid family coasting through life. Bullshit. At night, he fought a groundhog underneath the house. Technically, they had a full basement, but it didn't cover the entire floor plan, and some of the house, the newer part, had a crawl space. And it was somewhere down in that crawl space Remy heard a rumbling at around two in the morning. Beth said, oh, God almighty, the earth is swallowing the house like hell. Remy stirred awake. I was dreaming about tournaments. No time to talk about basketball. There's a monster under there, she said. Not basketball nights like Sir Lancelot used to fight in horseback with lances and Remy. I'm going. He got to going. Underneath that fiddleback-infested crawl space, he used an old deer spotlight, you know, like hunters and the police both will use in a dark woods, one for the living and the other for the dead. At first, all Remy saw was fiddlebacks, and Remy was scared. Kidney's youth had gotten bitten by one of those one time, and it was like death itself started to rot that poor boy's arm off, spreading like the plague, spreading like how Rottle spread in a tree trunk struck by lightning until it killed that boy he moved past slow scared for his life in his arms shining that light further he saw one of them groundhogs and started digging on the north side he got over there and didn't know if the thing had dug under it under the whole house under the wall he looked up there and saw gnaw marks on the floor and a bit of light where they'd started to get through to his brand new family room and was he ever mad but he wouldn't stick his hand under that hole to see he wasn't about to have his hand eaten up by a groundhog no sir
1: This
2: podcast contains swearing and cussing. If you don't like swearing and cussing, this isn't the podcast you're looking for. You can go about your business. Move along. Hello and welcome to episode 25 of First Impressions, the podcast that doesn't have to be mad to work slash freelance here, but it helps. My name is Peter Humphreys, a writer and editor based in Lancaster, UK, and in this episode I continue my conversation with the Brooklyn-based novelist, poet and singer-storyteller Lancelot Chaubert. If you haven't yet listened to episode 24, in which Lance and I started yakking, please take your head and ears on a trip back in time and listen to that first. Okay, I think they've gone. For those who did tune in, a quick reminder that previously we spoke about Lance's writing routine, his influences, and how his debut novel was almost inevitably set in southern Illinois from where he hails. In this episode, we examine some of the rich vernacular Lance uses in his work, which can be slightly confusing to British ears, and get some exciting insights into what he will be working on next, which is partially based on the real-life stories and fiction ideas left to him by his inspiring father. Again, we started with an extract from Lance's debut novel, Bellhammers, The True Folk Tale of Little Egypt. More of that to come during the episode. I shall return at the end of the show with the usual news roundup. But in the meantime, over to me and Lance chatting back in late March 2023. It's all a time trip, man. in when you think about it. Have you finished the
0: novel?
2: I have yeah I finished listening to it I have a few questions on references which I thought would be interesting to look at in a bit because it's set in you know so precisely located in terms of time and place although as you've now told me it's also linked to this system or a philosophy or you know a world that's going to be revisited and is linked to your other work as well is it a good time for me to ask you about a few of those to clarify because I I thought it might be interesting to listeners because some of these, you know, we've, we're from very different cultures, but of course we get a lot of, you know, U.S. culture over here. So one of the expressions that... By <laughs> uh, force sometimes, God love you. <laughs> sometimes it was when I'm I'm old enough that it was just, you know, four channels and three of them would be showing, you know, Columbo and the A-Team. It wasn't so bad. I enjoyed it. <laughs> but what, one of them was Starsky and Hutch. And I think in the lyrics to the theme tune of that the tv show it had um good old boys and i was going to ask you what that means exactly i mean another great line that i loved in the in the book you had the old men and it, you'd phrased it i think telling beers and sipping stories telling beers and sipping stories and you you turned it around that way but is that what the old boys are is it's like the old
0: guys together having a drink and stuff so yeah, it, I mean it it can take on a dark turn if someone takes the phrase and abuses it. So there there are places where people say that and they mean it in a racist sense. So there are places where you'll find what they mean is middle class white guys mm. juxtaposed against black indigenous people of color or juxtaposed against white trash, you know, that is to say people of Gaelic descent or gingers or, you know, that sort of thing. There are those sorts of communities that is not predominantly what it means. Predominantly good old boys means these are the blue collar guys in the community that hold it together as the glue. That's 90% of the time, 95% of the time when you hear someone reference that they mean, these are the guys that are, they're good dads. You know, maybe they had a rough past in high school or college. Maybe they went on some massive Coke bender and dealt a bunch of cocaine you know, but they, they've come and put their life in order or they've received grace and they have changed, settled down, or maybe they haven't found love. Maybe they haven't raised a family, but they're at least building a business. They're participating in the community there. And then they're going out Friday night and having a bunch of drinks. You know, these are the, these are the upstanding men of the community. That's generally what that means. It can also take on, in some communities, a sexist tone. If women never have a seat at the table, a lot of guys that say that are not saying, "Let's have exclusively male-dominated riding clubs." You know, not ours is that; it's co-led with a woman here. <laughs> you right. know, like, yeah. Yeah. but to the same degree that we have, you know, Lebanese and Yemeni Arab salons for women south. It's a private place for these particular women of these particular culture to to hang out and have safe space. That's kind of what some of those guys would just a place where they can be themselves and, and, and not have to worry about being watched all the time and stepping out of bounds. So it's, it means a lot, like any word, four or five different things. It means generally me, me it means the upstanding men of the society. And, and according to dad's journals, I got a whole box of his journals right here. Cause I'm working on a sequel to this thing. Some pretty tough, you know women that were on his construction cruise too uh he would would have included you know this one woman um, among the good old boys so it doesn't even necessarily always mean men either so i see i see um, that's interesting and
2: were you um so now you're saying you've got your dad so so there's going to be a a continuation of this story bringing it more up to date or
0: um so (laughs) yeah so I was actually working on a sequel with dad before he passed. He did a lot more like commercial carpentry and like union work, like directly with the union for like large power plant, like, like smokestacks that are taller than some of the tallest buildings in London, you know, like just like huge things out in the middle of the country. Um, And he'd come back. Oh, I I might be able to send you a picture of him if you want to see him when he was like, Covered, covered in smoke, wow. which ended up killing him. It was the same stuff they used in Agent Orange uh, in Vietnam. Uh, so, it, yeah, he got sickle sickle cell leukemia from essentially Agent Orange and a, a combination of that and Monsanto's Roundup, uh, which he won a pittance of a settlement for. But, um, wow. and then that plus COVID killed him um, in in 2021, at the end of 2021. And so he was working on a book that was just his stories from those union days. Mm -hmm. I wanted to write a blue collar heist novel and we Uh, talked about uh, collaborating. Uh, And so we'd written some things he'd written his stuff. I'd written mine. Then we written some things together. And now I've just kind of inherited his stuff. And he was always down on himself because he had serious ADHD. He was way more of an artist than grandpa um, and therefore not a great businessman, but he was a better carpenter. Uh, Which is hard to say because grandpa was a like people still talk about the houses he built all over the region, especially when compared to other certain companies. Um, But dad, um, they just cared. You know, they gave a shit. And dad, you know, he would show an example of this. Like, here's a journal and it's like 90% unfilled. And then it has all this stuff in the front and on the back here, you know, like, here's just an idea for a table or whatever. Uh, Right. Nice. I think this is one he was helping you know, my sister with. And yeah, it's got all these like random things. Like he's even got right here, like the caught caught parachute of the guy writing the thing down in, in a chapter. And so he would say, well, I just can't finish. I can't finish a journal. I'm never going to be able to do this thing. But I've got a stack of a hundred journals here. If mm-hmm. you 25 wow. still a hundred journals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've got 25 journals worth of material. So the sequel to this thing is going to be a heist novel, and also a murder mystery. There was a murder of a man named John Shakespeare, uh, who was an oil baron in Southern Illinois. It's still unsolved. When I found out about that, I was like, I can't not write about this. Hmm. But they, his family's also still looking for it. So I'm, I'm creating a kind of a very, very shadow of that character because I don't want to, I want to make it clear this is a fantasy character. I, okay. you know. Yeah, yeah on john and his family i don't want you know but his name is john shakespeare his mm-hmm. father's name was william shakespeare wow. the inventor of yes in, in michigan the oh, inventor God. of these like fly fishing dynasties that john took bought an oil field and then shakespeare oil company is still in salem Illinois. and i was like okay a man named shakespeare that owns the oil company is murdered like that kind of writes itself yeah, and yeah. Also, and the connection of the hometown, but also there's all this stuff with dad and and the union. And so my question is, you know, when I started it, is there a way for them to go to the Patoka oil terminal and steal 1.2 million gallons of oil? Wow. <laughs> and that's a question uh, I've been yeah, asked. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to, I'm about 60,000 words into it, but I'm using dad's journals and, yeah. and different and I've got a I've got a letter here from a friend of his that went to you know Iran um that wrote back it's got all the old embassy tags on it and stuff. Oh, that's right. And sailed from I, you know, from Tehran to oh, yeah. to Salem. And what was he doing? He was working over there in, in oil. His his family was oil. He is oil now. I actually haven't talked to him since I released the novel. I don't know if he uh, <laughs> he's mad at me or not, <laughs> but he was a good buddy of dad's, but oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I was wondering about that, that autobiographical
2: element. Did you have a generally good reaction from other friends and family once the novel took on you know, its its life and and became successful?
0: 90% of them don't give a shit. Okay, yeah. Part of that is, like I said, a lot of people don't read. Yeah. Uh, when they do read, if you read, if you just read this without, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to do the audiobook, if you read this just like with a bland reading voice. I'm thinking of c- certain run-on sentences that are the way they talk, but like she got what she wanted, but still hadn't expected on account of the insecurity her own daddy put in her.
2: Mm, mm-hmm. if
0: you read that straight, it kind of like, it's not it's not a romance novel, you know what I mean? Mm. So I hope the audiobook would help with that some. Uh, my grandma thought it was hilarious. She was like crying. I had a friend oh, here in that city literally displaced a rib uh laughing in a in a reviewer recently i'm she read it twice and on the second time she actually pissed her pants laughing (laughs) So i was like okay you get it um there's a lot of folks back home that don't or don't care like they're like oh yeah lance wrote a book whatever He crawled back past all them fiddleback nests with struggle and sweat and fear and went upstairs and looked for a hand mirror, but he couldn't find one for the life of him. He looked everywhere he thought Beth might have in there. He couldn't get a mirror. Mom, he said to his wife, Beth. She'd gone back to sleep. Hippo shit, he called her. What? She asked and shot up in bed. Did you get it? No. Well, try. Do you have a hand mirror? What do I need one of those for? Lena does my hair. Damn it. What? she asked. Is it a curse? Not quite, he said. Then why you cursing? Because damn it, Beth, sometimes I like to at two in the morning when beasts of the netherworld have risen to tunnel my house. She snorted out a sigh. He said, get under there with a flashlight for me and stick your hand down in there. You must be crazy, she said. I'm saner than stainless steel. No, you're crazy, because only a crazy man wouldn't have the spine to shoulder his own curse like Adam did for Eve, asking his wife to grab hold of some monster in some bit because you got no spine yourself. Bryn was standing in the doorway, eating one of Beth's peanut butter cookies, munching loudly, grinning. What the hell you want, son? Remy said. Bryn munched loudly. Oh, go on. Don't let me stop you. You don't understand, son. Stay out of it. Bryn said, groundhogs under the house What's to understand. Yeah, well, then you go under there with that big flashlight and stick your hand down in there and see if it's there and you can pull it out. I ain't going noodling for no groundhog. Then shut up and go to bed, Remy said. It sounds like this whole house is as cowed as me. What are you going to do? Beth asked. Remy thought for a while. Bryn munched his cookie. They any good? Beth asked. Ain't none better, you know that, Bryn said. Beth tucked her chin and grinned like she did when she'd fish for a compliment, and got what she wanted but still hadn't expected on account of the insecurity her own daddy'd put in her. Remy said, Hol's Apple's got a pistol thirty-two caliber. Bryn grinned wider. There you go. I'm leaving, she said. You'll be shooting through the floor and I ain't about to die while lying down in bed. She got out of bed and went to the closet and started pulling out clothes to get ready. I'll set up the lawn chairs. Bryn went out and started both that and a fire and got stuff for s'mores. Lawn chairs weren't so white and new in those days. Remy went over to Hole's Apples. It's no soul's hour by that point. He starts banging on the door. Jerry comes downstairs and opens the door and shout whispers in that hoarse way that madmen trying to stay quiet for sleeping wives who wear the pants will do. Remy, what in God's name? Don't use his name in vain, Remy said at a normal volume. Whatever this is, he has nothing to do with vanity. You need a new one? Remy said, I build nice vanities. I'm a carpenter, you know, Jerry. What do you want? Jerry didn't do too well low on sleep, you see. Jerry? Miss Holzapple called down. Oh, God. He said, you see what you went and did? I didn't shout none. Remy said, I wasn't the one shouting. Miss Holesapple came down in her nightie. She reminded Remy of Joe's wife standing half naked on the porch out of the oil derrick fell down from heaven in the middle of that tornado all them years before. Evening, Remy. Evening, he said. I'm sorry, Mama Holzapple, but I, I, I need to borrow your pistol. She gasped. I have an intruder. Remy said she gasped again. Jerry suddenly sobered. Come over here. Come over here quick. Now, every man in Southern Illinois has a closet or a trunk where he keeps the guns in case of armed rebellion like Bloody Williamson. Jerry went to his.
2: That story and really, and I found the end of it, you know, very moving. I think, and you know, the the ends of books are, are so difficult. And You know, it becomes, for me anyway, as as I was listening, you know, very poetic, very passionate and very much in defense of smaller communities that have been, you know, neglected for whatever reason. And. You know, I think it becomes like the, the 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 singing shit. I mean, that's not me putting it in a very eloquent way, but you know, that's no, it's exactly, exactly right. Those are the, the words you use, I've just put that in my notes. But yeah, you know, it's but the way you you put it and the way that you express it is very moving. I found it, and and you know, so I guess if even if people aren't reading it, you know, you are sort of representing a lot of that life, albeit you know, you're putting it in a, a necessarily poetic way, as is the case when we. You know, when we need to entertain or sing a song to get to get that message through. Can I ask a couple more words talking of the delivery and the yeah, you know <laughs> something else? I could have looked up, but wanted to ask you shooting skeet. Yeah, what's a skeet, or
0: what? How would you shoot a skeet? Uh, that is a clay pigeon. Uh, um, you okay. in the highlands or whatever? You know, you just you you just aim practice for birds that are in flight. But oh, it's just okay. it's called a skeet shooter. You never heard skeet shooter a man. <laughs>
2: Yeah. I noticed in the book, it's sure as shooting skeet. So is sure. that something that's considered quite easy then? Sure as shooting no. skeet? No. Ah, okay.
0: Not easy to, sh- it's not easy to. Ah, it's not easy. Okay, okay. Well, but if you hit it. Yeah. You shot, sure, right? You, you know, shot, so- sure. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's one of those things too, like New York drivers, they drive all the time. They're some of the most competent drivers in the world because there's some margin is so thin on the JFK Expressway. Pedestrians don't care here. They block streets all the time. It's not like Tokyo. Because of that, you you just gotta be constantly ready when you're behind the wheel of a car in the city. And and it's because there's 800 cultures here 400 languages spoken i mean everyone's you go into a starbucks it's like okay are we using paper is this a bidet are we standing on the seat like (laughs) you (laughs) know uh london's a bit like that but other than that there's not a lot of global cities that have that much diversity and so so they're competent and in a similar way one of the upsides of having people that are just hunting a lot is they're generally very careful with Mm -hmm. where they keep guns Mm. um how they treat people with guns and that's and that's not that's a kind of northern vermont liberals Mm. southern illinois conservatives like it's not a it's not a political thing it's a yeah you can get pretty competent with these now that's not always the case you get an idiot with a gun sometimes or you get my uncle bill drunk and he blew off his arm so uh i right he was a great uncle so uh, and a great uncle uh but he, oh, wow. he, he wow. drove me on a ski ski doo, you know like a motorized um thing on the water mm-hmm. with his hook wow here in his real hand oh my gosh oh my gosh wow, wow. <laughs> well back on that i was like i i was raised by pirates like <laughs>
2: really? but he got on with it he got on with it we well, got no choice yeah it's it's yeah he, he adapted and
0: just it yeah, they were, him off exactly they were just like pirates in search of a Cornwall is what that was <laughs> too landlocked for our own good
2: well I yeah there was certain parts of the novel I was, you know again just just you know coming from a fairly sedate part of the the north of England with with few hazards although there are hazards out there you know we were in Lancaster there's farmland all all around these guys out there are doing very physical dangerous jobs and stuff but you know I'm part of that. That sort of you know never done a day's work in in his his life kind of person. But I, another question I had, and I think it's an extract that I'm going to include in the podcast, is about the groundhog, and that yeah. does involve I think weaponry and trying to trying to get rid of the the groundhogs that over here we'd probably know from the you know the Bill Murray film Groundhog Day, but <laughs> <where> actually <laughs> quite cute and cuddly. But actually, the groundhog I guess is a pest. Is the boondog also, or is that something different?
0: no that's not that's a <laughs> okay
2: <laughs> <have to> <laughs> uh, yeah
0: no it's kind of like a snipe uh boondog is is just um well at least as far as i'm aware maybe there's a community yeah. that came from but the boondog just like means like way out there like i lived out i lived out the boondogs like like it just means like way the hell out oh, there I see. i see yeah it's a made-up phrase as far as i know you know about <laughs> snipe hunting though right uh no. Now there are apparently things named snipes, but when someone takes okay. you snipe hunting, yeah, a lot of times they do it for for kids that grew up shelter, but especially for like city kids that come visit uh-huh. the country. Like we we did it multiple times, even in college. Guys that come from Miami and from Wichita, St. Louis, they'd come to the college, which was considered small, but it was huge for me. We'd mm-hmm. take them out the woods to go snipe hunting. Okay, basically go out uh, with like twenty people. And then one at a time, someone at the back of the herd will duck off, go back to the house. And they keep going and keep going until the last person is push them out. And and you have someone like making snipe sounds. Oh, and the last God. person, they just kind of like, oh, God. oh, he's up there. He's 20 feet ahead. And you'll have someone like 50 feet ahead making the sound. And then both of them will go back to the house and they'll just leave them out in the middle oh. of the <laughs> field.
1: <laughs> there's no there's no such thing as a snipe.
0: Like it's okay. not <laughs> say,
2: okay. This is good. This is good for me to know. So yeah. the sound is whatever you want it to be. So they can make it. And they're just
0: like uh, a- <laughs> <laughs> there's no, it's just you pick one person to make it. And they just oh, leave it out there and then hope they find their way back to the house. You know. We lost Billy that way, better than that. So <laughs> yeah. oh god. as long as I'm not rationing diner crackers and mustard, I am living pretty high on the hog, you know, <laughs> like, uh, and so, and I didn't grow up as poor as my grandpa grew up, but I, you know, I didn't have internet until we went in 2005 till I went off to college. And then other friends did, but I feel this massive debt to things that, you know, you come out here and people are like, Oh yeah, the classics, whatever the Western classics or Even the Eastern classics, they kind of like roll their eyes because they all had it in high school and kind of blew it off. And I'm like, do you realize what you're neglecting? Like, I know because I didn't I didn't come to them until even later on in college. I I didn't discover that part of the library. And my goodness, it just has always kind of really weirded me out because there's, it, it's like a writer only writes one book every 30 years. So like, do you realize how little time you have mm, mm. before the incarnation of your consciousness is put at least on hold? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we only have, as John Milton would say, the embalming of, of your mastermind of what you had to say to the world. Like there's only so much time. That's always bugged me. And sometimes, like I said, it's it's with good cause. Like, well, the Western classics is written by a bunch of white men. I want to have black voices. That's not a bad thing. Also, Augustine was black. Sappho was a woman. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in fact, a lot of a lot of women voices started to get silence from the tradition with the advent of both protestantism and the enlightenment and the alchemists mm-hmm. uh, not all but like and that became more and more prominent through that th- about 300 year period but like before that like hello like saint Clair, saint catherine of siena like hildegard of bingen like like a lot yeah, of right. people so i think sometimes it's just like what that represents maybe with colonialism or like s- specific kinds of people that studied that but that doesn't mean that has to be what you extract from it in fact quite the opposite if you read acts 2 whatever is being formed in the seedbed of christianity there it is very clearly post-colonial like the list of the nations represented of the jews that were in town for pentecost are all former places that rome occupied they're like former empires right okay like from persia and me it's like none of these places yeah. exist anymore it's like mm-hmm. it's like saying it's like saying yeah there were christians gathered in new york and they were from vietnam iraq mm-hmm. the sioux like right.
2: yeah yeah <laughs>
0: like aliasca you know puerto rico <laughs> like all of these places that is that is a post-colonial line through and through is anti-roman um mm-hmm. uh, not roman in the cultural sense but in the imperial yeah yeah and so i think a lot of times people will push back against things like that ignorant of what they're actually doing Mm. like your your idea of doing that comes from the western canon Mm. um and so i have i've just taken it as this huge burden. i've i've not read the summa let alone the summa hellensis which came out before the summa like the pre-suma summa you know like i haven't i haven't read all of these things and so my my goal is to just do my work like that's this is my job one of the main components of it so i want to by the time i'm 65 for the love of god have something to say i don't feel like i do yet i feel like i'm 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 working to develop my voice and to develop my my things i can pull from but hell i just i've only read one of the three things from from one of the three books from the divine comedy not all three you know like i mm-hmm. i like and probably not carefully enough.
2: Is that why you're learning Latin as well? Is that to access more? Yeah. Or...
0: Yeah. So I, well, um, you know, Charles V said that, that to possess another language is to possess another soul. And I don't have another language. You know, I I would love to. And I don't know that I've mastered English. There's a giant Webster's second sitting in there. Sorry, OED fans. But, you know, I flipped through the first page. And if I don't know 50% of the words on the first page, like how... Like, am I lying to myself about how well I've mastered my own tongue? If we just stop learning vocabulary at like seventh grade, we're like, ah, you'll pick up the rest of it. It's like, actually words get harder. Mm. And there's more of them like shunt and ambule that are short, but highly specific. Pomace is highly craft specific word. Pomace, and, that's a nice word. Is that, yeah, real, is that material? Or? That, is a, the, that is the leftover pulp. From when you press apples and grapes for a cider press oh right okay just highly craft specific yeah yeah, gaffer, palm, apple. yeah. the same same wise game at the gaffers Old oh, brew hmm. a gaffer is either someone who puts up rigging for like scaffolding and, and stuff like that but it's also uh the person that assists with glass blowing okay i don't know about you i don't know a ton of glass blowers these days and so yeah, yeah but that's the gaffer is it because we'd say that
2: is a, a boss here we'd say the gaffer oh
0: well then I, again okay so there's a third definition i didn't know as well
2: yeah so. but it could come from the glass blowing originally but it's like you know if you want to have a break you better ask the gaffer you know because the gaffer will the gaffer will give you permission like the like the boss i guess or like in you know the patron in in, in spanish or have you you know that's the gaffer's yeah
0: brew yeah that probably is the way it's being used so that uh, so that's another another one i gotta write that down uh hold on and this is part of it. I, I always write down words at the end of books and then add them to my Anki dictionary for English. Okay, to yeah, yeah, memorize words that are new. But anyway, I think proper, like if it's actual academia, mm. like you're learning for wisdom. The goal is to be mm. wise. Yeah, you know, the goal is to 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 grow as a person of the mind and have virtue. And academics, at its best, does that. Um, that's what I'm after. Yeah, I. I don't have an advanced degree. I don't know if I'll ever publish anything substantial in terms of citation impact, but I am after the wisdom. So Flannery O'Connor is great. Uh, you know, she's one of these people like only Catholics can write that dark. Uh ah, like, okay. yeah, like yeah. if you if you really believe in the body and you really yeah. believe in evil and you really believe in the resurrection, you can get pretty dark. Yeah, <laughs> like <yeah. laughs> The Children of Hurene by Tolkien is dark. Okay. It is, dark book like some people read that book like i can't keep going uh as if it's nihilism and it's like pretty much if if a person like tolkien believes in the resurrection it pretty much is nihilism Mm -hmm. (laughs) until you rise you know so she, yeah, she's yeah. just really honest and, and razor sharp when she critiques uh, certain like self-righteous church people and things like that. She's she's great. I do like a lot of Chesterton's prose. I like how he creates these contrasting images and then builds a third out of it. He, he's very good at the union of contraries into this third thing and, you know, tertium quid kind of thing. I am very concerned about his anti-Semitism uh, at points i'm very concerned about his bloodlust at points mm. uh, which he shares with a lot of guys from that era he shares it with lewis he shares it with tolkien he shares it with mm. a lot of them tolkien less so but he still was very much you know rah, rah just war mm. okay. I'm, I'm very clearly a pacifist mm. uh, so those things concern me but i love i love chesterton's voice i think he's one of those people kind of like mark twain that's just so when you come down to the end of a paragraph, he gives you this one-liner that like sums up the entire argument, and okay. and people quote all the time. So, I think that's I think that's great. I think he's also associated these days with a certain kind of conservativism, especially in England, that I do not share. So I feel the need <laughs> to, to be very clear that I'm not blood and soil and all that kind of right. yeah, yeah. So, I, I just want to be careful of the nuance there. But, you know, I, I, I helped with the digital organizing for Bernie Sanders campaigns both times. So oh, great. <laughs> <right>. Well, <Wow. laughs> I think he and I would disagree a bit on that stuff. But my family's very, very conservative, clearly. So, in some ways, this is kind of a reconciliation of the, of like yeah. Bernie policies and my father's union and that sort of stuff. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, David Bentley Hart, who I quote at the end, you know, and I kind of hinted at it earlier that. Wisdom is the recovery of innocence on the far end of experience. I mean, that line itself—all the guys we like really, mm, really admire wow. in literature. Yeah, it's it's like Gandalf and like Dumbledore <laughs> and Merlin and these like—and it's not because they do magic. These guys know things. Yeah, yeah, just in an arcane way to use it. Like they know things that would like make everything better, but they've also seen things. Like they've been through the shit. Yeah, you no. Know? Yeah. And it's both. And it's like, that's why Gandalf smokes a pipe with Hobbits. Mm. That's why that's why Dumbledore likes freaking lemon drops.
1: <laughs>
0: like after everything you've been through, really, dude. Lemon <laughs> drops. That's that's why Merlin's got this like weird ass Archimedes owl that he just banters with all day long and oh, yeah. talks yeah. about his umbrellas yeah. from Tahiti. Like it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can, you know, we can. Haggle over the breviloquium. And then afterwards, would you like my rainbow umbrella? You know? (laughs) So I think there's, I think there's something to that. Um, And Hart's really good. He's an Eastern Orthodox thinker that if I was going to recommend one reader in terms of nonfiction, I would recommend David Bentley Hart because of the issues he talks about. He talks about consciousness, AI is huge right now. He talks a lot about ethics. He reframes the entirety of Western history and Ah, uh, one of his books,, uh, which just debunks gobs and gobs of myths that people tell each other all the time. It's the philosophical undergirding of or at least the traditions he's pulling from is the way I should say it of of Bell hammers. in that on the one hand, you have, you know, pieces of shit, people that are making beauty. On the other hand, you're talking qualitatively about a piece of shit as an object in space mm. And most people, when they argue against, Vedantic Hinduism, which is monotheism. Judaism, which is monotheism. Christianity, which is monotheism. Certain types of Buddhism. Islam. Uh, Socrates, who is a monotheist, like all of the great modern philosophers and say, I don't believe in God, they don't realize they're committing a category error. That's okay. But if you're going to reject something, make sure you know what you're rejecting first. And guys like Richard Dawkins make that category error over and over and over again in their books. Hitchens, another one. They think that they're, that these voices are talking about Zeus right. or or the Demiurge or those sorts of things. And don't realize we're talking about instantaneous cause causality. Yeah, we can talk about well, let's move away from shit for a second, but uh, <laughs> like, let's just like, just take a rock, a rock.
1: Mm.
0: Like we can talk about the nature of limestone as a material. Okay. Mm. We can talk about how, and that's, that's material cause. We can talk about efficient cause and how it's the le- leftovers from some, you know, Joplin miner who went in there and, and was carving out a brick, but left this limestone rock, mm-hmm. but that's not, the main thing we're talking about here. We can talk about formal cause. It's rockness when we compare it as a universal to other rocks, and we immediately think of this thing named rock that isn't the rock itself. We can talk about that, but that's not what they're talking mm. about. We talk about final cause, purpose, which is like, what's the point of a rock? Well, you can build cathedrals out of it. You can, you know, it's got a lot of different things. That's not what they're talking about. We're saying as an object in space, right here, right now, nothing in this rock contains the cause of its being. Mm. Okay, yeah. Nothing. There's mm. absolutely nothing within the rock that gives it permission to be. Mm. It is contingent. Mm. And contingency means that it does not contain the necessity of itself. And if you cannot explain that, that means it is contingent upon something else. And when you uh. speak about things in the physical universe, everything you mention is contingent, everything. Super strings vibrating in the 10th dimension. That is an object. The concept of nothingness is an object because anytime we think about it, we think about volume or empty space, which is an object. Like all of those things are contingent. And so some of that philosophical undergirding is like, no, just meditate on shit for a little while. (laughs) In nothing per se, not space, nothing. Yeah, Yeah. Um, And you'll see why calling someone, you know, a shithole or a shit town is still in a way a compliment mm. because, as Chesterton would say, you look at anyone in the street and they're not a has been. First and foremost, they're a great might not have been. And if they might not okay. have, yeah, yeah, been, yeah. What yeah. can that person say to you? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. That's hard. Hard is an influence for that stuff, but he's you know, all of the great world traditions he's pulling from are really the influences there. So he's a he's a, mo- a, a modern day philosopher himself he's a philosopher of the mind he is a philosopher of ontology he is an ethicist um he's really great with like near eastern myths and and philosophies he's just he's really and he interacts on his substack with gobs and gobs of poets and voices i mean he was on there with the guy who uh played dwight in the office the other day just talking about Sikhism. so you know, he interacts pretty broadly, likes jazz and baseball. You oh, know,
1: really he looks awesome.
0: like he looks like a kind of old codger you would have, you know, pried loose from the Eagle and child or whatever. Oh, yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah. The <laughs> pub, whatever the pub would be, you know, like uh, in Cambridge, Oxford. But he's you know, he is a Cambridge guy. How did that just happen? Miss Holesapple asked, Serena's hot chamomile tea. If it can happen, Jerry said, it'll happen to Remy. That sounds dark, she said. A guy named Moore wrote a law about it. He said what can happen will happen. That's both the bad and the good, Remy said. Not just the bad that can happen will happen. The good that can happen will too. And if you happen upon bad things like tonight, and in that moment you choose to happen you're good on them bad things, more good and bad will happen in the end. I don't think that makes much sense, Miss Holzapple murmured. Sure it does, Jerry said. It's shh, sh- sh- Miss Holes Apple said. Let's go cheer on Remy. Remy loaded up the pistol and marched out the last night in the world, striding face first into the dark of the last night of the world. And by then, the whole neighborhood is standing around Bren's fire in the front yard, cooking s'mores and talking about baseball and sipping hot toddies and watching and cheering while well, everyone except some of the Texarko folk who were frightened back by Jim Johnstone as Remy crawls under his house with a pistol to chase the monster out. He crawled alongside the fiddlebacks and stopped and looked at them, one of them dangling like it's about to drop on his nose, and he felt his heart set to pattering. The good lord said, Remy, have you seen the fiddleback giving birth to its young?
1: Can't say as I have, lord.
0: He felt the good lord smiling. Above him, that fiddleback started attaching an egg sack to its little cobweb, and then Remy saw all them egg sacks above that it had already laid. You know, each, say, egg sack of a fiddleback has somewhere between 31 and 300 baby spiders inside. Well, they started hatching just then, and the floor of his house, which was now the roof over his head, started boiling with baby spiders, just boiling and roiling. Remy was sweating. He said, people used to worship spiders, Lord. They're not gods. I am. I want to squash them all. They're not demons, either. They got my spirit of life in them, Remy. Remy looked at that spider again, threatening to fall upon him. Sister Fiddleback, he said, I pray you be patient with me as I pass. He moved through, unmolested. There at the north side, he shined that light down into that hell hole again and saw them yellow eyes, plenty of them. He pointed that gun down in there. The good Lord said, Remy. Remy's hand shook on the pistol. "'Have you ever seen how pretty a groundhog can be when it digs?' "'No, Lord, now's not the time!' Seein' as how you're aimin that death cannon at it, I think it high time. "'They look like they're swimming, Remy. I made them that away. "'Remy aimed his gun. "'They're just doing how I made them to do. Diggin' through my house?' "'Your house I gave you.' "'I built it,' Remy said. With hands I gave you, with a mind that received my gift of consciousness, with lungs that got my breath in em, and with wood that came from the stock of trees my spirit told grow. Tell me which of these things did not come from the very dirt these groundhogs live and move in? Well, Remy didn't have no answer for that. He wanted to ignore the good lord, put a bullet in these things, and go to bed, especially without the town cheering him on outside the cinder blocks. Remy. Oh, shit. He said, can I just wound him a little? What you do is your choosing, but they're as much mine as you. You do well to remember that.
2: Really, like a name like Chesterton is, is is a name I've seen, you know, probably in the school library and then the college library. Without knowing much about them, I recognized a couple of books. I thought well, maybe I looked at that a long time ago. It could have been when I was 15 and there's so much choice. Maybe I put it down. I didn't quite get it. You know, right. but I think Another aspect of that which we touched on is, you know, when I was looking him up, there seemed to be whatever his views are on some things, you know, he there seems to have been a friendly debate, which I I don't know if we have so much now with other authors, you know, and I guess Tolkien was in that as well. It's kind yeah. of almost like a, a, an ongoing debate in the pages of newspapers oh, yeah. where these things could be discussed without it becoming a torrent of rage, you know.
0: Oh yeah. He was friends with like every major literary voice. His friends with Shaw and they had diametrically opposed ideas. He was friends We're with him. Wells or, I mean, I, I don't know, read through his heretics where he calls them all heretics. They're all his friends. you know. Like, right, yeah, yeah. like he, and he was hilarious. And he was like 400 pounds, wore a monocle, a sword cane, a cape, one slipper had a revolver in his pocket. And like his friend Max Beerholm painted oh. him if he was the entire world, like, PG Wodehouse once said, you know, the morning awoke with a clang that sounded something like GK Chesterton falling on a sheet of tin. You know, like, <laughs> it's like <laughs> he was a big dude. And, but he was also just like joyful and bountiful. And, and, you know, if you're in a situation where you have to be right and your side has to win, mm-hmm. then your goal isn't learning. Mm, yep. Yeah. Your goal isn't being wise. Your goal isn't actually seeking the truth. Your goal is winning. Mm. Your goal is will to power. Your goal is just power. Yeah. And that is folly. Mm. Like you don't even have to read The Lord of the Rings to know it's a bad idea to have the ring. If you think that will to power and your own volition is the most important thing, you've lost the game already. Yeah. Before yeah. you take a step out the door, you've lost the game. Yeah, I I think all these guys were just I mean the the inklings were the next generation so they had like a little bit of crossover. uh Chesterton was more with Agatha Christie and the Detectives Club in London um Dorothy Sayers that was them but they rubbed shoulders. Sayers was more of a bridge between the two. Although she wasn't an official inkling because she was a woman. uh you uh, know right. but her writings especially The Mind of the Maker influenced all of them very clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, she was brilliant but yeah yeah they they just bantered I mean they like Mm. they really wanted to know you have a huge debate with Lewis at the Oxford Socratic Club uh, on miracles of all things and Wittgenstein's student who was a woman you know proposed an objection and like Lewis was like stumped and he was like you're right my arguments Mm. failed right yeah Um, to a woman you know I, and, and like admits it yeah, yeah and then comes back the next meeting the next month is like here's how to fix it and, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. and his <laughs> argument was better and and that's what we need you know like yeah, yeah. but it was as iron, it yeah iron sharpens iron mm. and you gotta you gotta really believe like these people are your friends mm. like boethius said that evil was a sickness and like the easiest way to change the world is not to kill your enemies. It is to make them into your friends and to believe the good, because mm-hmm. then you don't just have one friend and a dead enemy. You have two friends.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You
0: know? And that that can make things so much exponentially better. Um, but you have to you have to return to civility. You mm-hmm. have to return. You have to move from hatred you have to move away from low effort voting you have to move away and specifically in an online space i mean you have to move away from reading uncarefully and move towards reading charitably someone else you have to move towards taking their argument and representing it in the highest way possible rather than strawmanning it and then fight that thing because yeah. that is what they're actually after it doesn't matter how they say it the hardest form of their argument even if you say it better is the idea you're up against and then you can then you can work together and build something really beautiful out of that the great fiction writers do that too they banter i mean c.s lewis's entire space trilogy was parodies of different writers okay yeah yeah book two parodied Milton. book three was the best charles williams book not written by charles williams right right (laughs) (laughs) no like that's Nabokov's entire career
2: right okay Yeah. yeah yeah yeah
0: That's that. I mean, that's what that is. Is yeah, weird. and that mischief, and you know, and that sort of yeah, yeah. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I mean, even Terry Pratchett, as mad as he was most of the time, was also like having a good laugh at his at and with his fellow fantasy and sci-fi writers. I'm gonna wound him, Remy said. He pulled off a shot, and he missed all four of them. And his ears went ringing, and them crazy-ass groundhogs came out and clawed at his face and his arms, and scared out of their minds, they went running all over that crawl space, and he started shooting at them left and right and missed. My lord, he was a horrible shot with a thirty-two caliber pistol, and he shot holes all through his family room floor, which hit pictures and books and things up above, not the least of which was the grandfather clock John David had made them as an anniversary present from the benches of pews from Young's Chapel, where they'd been married. and somehow. Some way, Remy reloaded, wounded too, and they ran off and never came back. He came out as bloodied and beaten and wounded as the groundhogs. Oh my God, Beth said, let's fix you up. The men cheered, the women covered their mouths, children looked at his bloody face in horror and Remy was down for days and then had to get to work repairing both Jerry's wall and Jim Johnstone's window.
2: One thing I noticed, and one thing I think everybody is experiencing a little bit at the moment, if they've got a... A computer and are following the news but you you touched on on heart mentioning the the ai and i also noticed on your website you had a disclaimer basically saying you know this is my these are my words if i catch you using this to train artificial intelligence we will prosecute you to the fullest extent of the law it's an interesting area to say the least i guess do you see um and certainly this harvesting of information i i certainly you know also find pernicious and and you know potentially dangerous. So do you have sort of strong views as you as you observe what's happening now? And do you have any inkling of which direction it could go? Yeah,
0: why? I mean, that's for the for the sages and the prophets. I think the the old guys that lived through it and the young guys that have foresight. There's a piece actually being written by heart right now, uh, a series on artificial intelligence. The first one is comparing it to the mirror of Narcissus. And that's really what's happening. Like these things don't, they don't think. If you think they're thinking, you're not thinking. Like you're not yeah. realizing what thinking actually is. And a, a lot of that comes from like a really mechanistic understanding of the universe, assuming it all starts with sensory input. But that that betrays even the nature of sensory input. You know, your flannel shirt right there is red. Well, what's your redness and my redness? Mm. How do we know we're even communicating at all? You know, like yeah, that. Yeah. It doesn't start with that. There's not some like magical, like microgram of redness that's traveling through the screen into like, like, and suddenly is filling my eyes. It's not like you're pouring red water. And you know what I mean? That's just not how that works. And someone will argue, well, what about light, this, that, and the other is like, well, it's not, red is not contained in my brain now, Mm -hmm. let alone my mind. And so when when you start really thinking about the way things are working, the first thing is like they're not thinking. That doesn't mean that it cannot become a huge enticing enchantment for starters. You know, the Green Knight. (laughs) Well, we're just different points in stories of the the Fae. Like you can get into a very convincing enchantment and they will leave nothing but your bones in the woods. You know, you will be there so long you'll rot is like the first danger. The second is that you'll see yourself in it. And the externalization of the self to think that myself is something outside of me, it's very dangerous. It's very dangerous. This is what mirrors do. It's what we do with our selfies all day long. But to to do that beyond personification, beyond this is a tool to help me calculate and actually see something that is there, very, very dangerous. And so we're already, you know the cat's already out of the bag. We've started making these things. And then again, for whatever reason in the 20th century didn't learn our lesson that we shape our tools and our tools shape us and did not yeah. think through the ethical consideration we like typical humans thought we can therefore we should which is folly when it comes to any technology <laughs> we can split the atom what could possibly go wrong <laughs> let's just do it and find out so it's not to say that it couldn't bring irreparable harm in many many ways i do think that there is a point where it's it is stealing to what degree i don't no it kind of depends the degree to which the tool is being used the simpler the tool the more diverse its uses the more complex the tool the more specific its uses you know you can use a knife for a lot of things like prepping a meal or cutting out an infection you can also use it to murder someone you can use a stone for even way 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 more applications you can use an atomic bomb for exactly two things one is a power plant and the other is a nuclear meltdown. Mm. That's, it. you know, I do worry mm. about the complexity of this thing. Like, mm. actually, what is its application and how how will that hurt and how will that harm? It's the first yeah. question. The second is, I mean, we make college freshmen cite their papers. Mm. Like, if you cannot cite the things this thing was trained for, specifically when you're saying copy Peter's entire life's work and make a new work, A, that's glorified fan fiction. And I understand the degree to which all fiction is fan fiction, you know, like Dante is Virgil fan fiction at some point, Mm. but two or B a and two, two, (laughs) I think there's just a difference when you're getting a factory to replicate the very idea that made said factory in the first place. There's like an Ouroborosian you know, consumption happened there. It's like eating its tail. Mm. And you have to, at some point, give honor where honors do, just like you would in a factory. And that's kind of what we're working on some of the centers for the commons is, you know, if we can take an oil royalty from the oil that's pumped out of the ground in Alaska, and because the Alaska constitution says that everyone in Alaska has an equal share in the state as an owner of Alaska, seven hundred thousand people, that royalty goes into a sovereign wealth fund that pays out dividends from the broad worldwide economy to the tune of about a thousand dollars to two thousand dollars a citizen every year. If you can do that, yeah. you can figure out a way, like how much money have they made on, on ten dollar subscribers on Mid Journey? You can figure out a way to compensate people for their life's work. The thing is you don't want to. Mm. This is where Lewis steps in and said, there's no such thing as man's triumph over nature. There is man's triumph over another man with nature as the instrument. Right. Yeah. And so anytime you hear someone saying, we triumphed over nature, look Mm. closely and see who is underneath the nature they claim to triumph Mm. over. Because typically there's someone holding up those blocks that built the pyramid. So, yeah, yeah. There's someone holding up the rail there's someone holding up the derrick there's someone holding up the the ai algorithm and in this case it's it's artists and writers Yeah. um we can't give compensation to pythagoras when our calcul calculators give pythagorean theorem Mm -hmm. but he's also at this point a part of the commons we all use him and we all benefit from him if it's benefiting a few we really need to take a second look at that and figure out a way to make it far, far more equitable. So, what it actually takes is people that care about this realizing that you actually have to put systems in place for people that care about this to discipline them towards caring about the things you care about. And sometimes that just means screw you, pay me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Not because I care about the money, mm. but because you need to learn how to pay for things that yeah. matter. There are a lot of lies from the Joker over the years, but he was he was right. In the dark night, you know, if you're good at something, never do it for free. Mm, yeah. <laughs> now, in his case, it was murder and mayhem. So, you know, maybe don't do that.
2: <laughs> so it's about some of your future plans. I noticed you've done a photo novel. You know, you've got that that discipline as an artist to 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 create and write every day. And yeah. produce and you've also got a, a sort of supportive network of other writers I sense around you. Yeah. So do you feel like you're in a, a good place right now? You've got you know, you've got I, youth on your side and you've got, you know, you've got this drive, evidently, and support. And you're in New York.
0: Yeah, I've got you know, I've I've got a rhythm going. Um, there are things I need to work out in terms of like habits just in our domestic life and rhythms there to to really make sure you know if i want to do this i gotta i gotta get to where i can do like two novels a year minimum okay. or something yeah, yeah. Yeah. so i'm trying to figure that out but you know i do i've got different links i got four books coming out this year and i've got four more full-length novels in the pipeline and so like figuring out that pipeline has been the biggest part mm-hmm. um and like in reading and influences from there, it's going to be like rallying around a really solid team of editors and things like that, that, you know, and just honestly finding the resources to do that so that those things can cross the finish line. Um, Because there's a point at which I've done everything I can. Yeah. You know, someone else has to take it to the next step. And That's so I'm trying to figure lie. out that. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. but yeah, I mean, God willing, I'll live another 30 to 50 years and just keep keep at it and maybe my abilities will wane but i'll keep striving towards what is highest and best and and try to let it come out in the work so
2: sounds good and it's very apparent so far so
0: well thanks Uh, i'm uh, really uh, grateful for your time and readership and or listenership uh,
2: yeah yeah i wish you luck and i'll continue to follow what you're doing with with great interest Another humongous thank you to Lance for sharing his thoughts on life and writing with this humble pod for your listening pleasure. As you can probably tell, I was really impressed with the attention he puts into his work. The seriousness with which he takes his reading, and the way he brings religious and philosophical ideas into his modus operandi. As writers, artists, or just aspiring citizens, I think we can all learn a lot from him, and from each other, if we listen carefully enough. A quick roundup of news from me, Jude Edwin Scott, the singer-songwriter at the forefront of British folk, who you heard in episode 10 of First Impressions, has recently launched the CD version of his new album, Rambling Rose. I would urge you to check out Jude's Bandcamp and have a listen to that before making the inevitable decision to buy a copy. My own work? I've been hacking away on some short stories while sending the manuscripts of my novel Adrift to agents half my age and some gnarly old dogs of the literary world as well. Let's see if they bite. If not, as with the illustrated collection of South American stories Anita and I are working on, it may come to your attention via a different route. Watch this space. Links to Lance's work and inspirations are included in the episode bio. Look out for Lance's forthcoming appearance on Andy N's Spoken Label podcast. As you should know, as well as being an inspiring poet, creator of ambient music and event organiser, Andy manages to interview fellow writers on what seems like a weekly basis. I don't know how he does it. Okay, stay tuned after the outro music for a song from Mr. Chaubert. It's that Leonard Cohen cover we spoke of in the previous episode. His work is also on Bandcamp, by the way. I will be back soonish, if you'll have me. In the meantime, tread carefully. And next time you're in southern Illinois and someone asks you to go on a snipe hunt, you know what to say. Bye, but bye. Bye, 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 bye. Sorry, gotta, got a prior engagement. Uh, see you. Bye, 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 bye,
1: bye. It's coming through a hole in the air from those nights in Tiana's Square. It's coming from the field It this ain't exactly real Or oh, it's real, but it ain't exactly there From the war against disorder From the sirens night and day From the fires of the homeless From the ashes of the gay Oh, democracy is coming Crack in the wall, on a visionary flood of alcohol. From the staggering account of the Sermon on the Mount, which none but the poor pretend to understand at all. It's coming from the silence on the docks of the bay, from the breathable the batter. Art of Fanny.
2: Perhaps there'd be an opportunity to come to the UK and publicize the book at some point
0: yeah that'd be fun uh, went to London for anniversary 2020 right before like we got one of the last planes out before shutdown so
2: ah good work I
0: don't know it's good work now we're really. like man the National Portrait
1: Gallery is <laughs> quite empty uh, yeah or castle all to ourselves.
0: like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is crazy. odd What's occurring
2: here? It's a bit like that 28 days later movie. Yeah.
0: Very much that. And like, and we're in New York too. So we're like, I'm pretty sure that's not normally this empty. We're like getting fish and chips at that. We had just gone like around Parliament. And so that place had the bell ringing across it. We were just like sitting right there getting a quick drink before we headed out. And but then I was like, ah, yeah, they're probably passing something. And then they're like, all these COVID bills on That's the floor fun. debating and i was like yeah yeah this is not like sars and this might not end well for us yeah yeah, yeah. We get on the plane and the, the pilot's like uh you know halfway across the atlantic we're having a problem with the hydraulic fluid and the landing gear we may be able to land we have to go back to heathrow no no really you went back yeah and so we went all the way back and they had like as we're you know like we're getting ready to land. I look at the the flight attendant and I was like, "Man, I'm I'm sorry to interrupt, but can you give us any more information? Because he hasn't come back on the the line on the air." She said, "Honey, I know what you know. Buckle up."
1: <laughs> <laughs> so we like white knuckling, like it's been a great run. <laughs> like we thought COVID was going to get us. We're going to just die in a fiery inferno on the road. <laughs> get lined with the foam and stuff and then everyone was on their yeah. best behavior cuz
0: it's like we landed yeah, yeah. Go, get out of here
2: oh jeez uh, anyway, oh jeez i would
0: i would happily come back to england that was great yeah
2: yeah i hope it's a, i hope it's a calmer landing yeah and the less you almost crashed into the poison dial oh my god